that are simply inescapable facts. They're just parts of being a human that are true, regardless of whether or not we want them to be true, they remain true. One of them, <coughs> one of these inescapable facts of human life, is that change happens, unless it's from a vending machine. <laughs> Thank you. Another couple of those inescapable facts, death and taxes, right? Another inescapable fact is that the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. Yes, Mitch. Well, this morning, I want to actually get a little bit deeper into one particular inescapable fact of humanity, and that is, at our very core being, we are made to worship. We are, by our nature, worshipers. We will worship something. We will adore someone. We will give to something ultimate value and worth. We will enjoy something and thus praise it. That's just a fact of life. And, this, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's easy for you to say, Father Caleb, because we're gathered here at a, in, a, in a religious place to offer worship to God. You're just saying that because it's convenient for you to say that. And those are, that's all true. I would not deny that. But this inherent nature of worship is something that even non-religious people recognize. The fact that we are intended, we are built, we are created to worship is something that is recognized even by such individuals as secular novelist David Foster Wallace. In a 2005 commencement address at Kenyon College, Mr. Wallace said this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Mr. Wallace says, everybody worships. And in that commencement address, which you should read it, it's really good, it's, it's easy to find online, he goes on to explain that everybody worships something. Everybody turns their heart, their affections, their enjoyment, and thus their praise to someone or something. As Foster Wallace unloads, he says, the one thing you can control in some sense is what or who you will worship. The question for guys like David Foster Wallace, I think the biblical question isn't, will we worship? The question is, who will we worship? Now, our psalm for this morning, Psalm 148, shows us the proper recipient of our praise. It's God. In Psalm 148, in, in declaring the proper recipient of our worship, really lays out for us the intended purpose of humanity, and indeed, the intended purpose of all of creation. That intended purpose is to enjoy and praise the Lord, Yahweh, the triune God and Creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, as we look at Psalm 148 this morning, we're going to look at all three of our scripture references and all three of our scripture passages we heard this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we'll begin at Psalm 148. We'll move then in a few minutes to Revelation chapter 21, and we'll finish up our time this morning in John chapter 4. The main theme of Psalm 148 cannot be missed. It's found in the first three words and the last three words, and it's found repeated throughout the 14 verses. The main theme is praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. 
And this call to praise the Lord is a summons to all of creation, every single aspect of that which is. Beginning with the heavens and the angels and working his way through the created order, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth and the seas, the mountains, the hills, the trees, all of the creatures that inhabit these places, and then ending with man, the crowning point of God's creation, God, through his psalmist, calls his creation to praise him. He is, in a sense, saying, do this, praise me. This is what you were made for. This is what you were meant for. Praise and worship of God. This morning, I'd like to ask two questions of this particular psalm and then attempt to answer them. We can ask questions really well, but sometimes not answer them so well. But I'm going to attempt to answer the questions. The first question to ask of this particular psalm is, first, what is, what does it mean to praise? And then the second question to ask is simply this, why is all of creation called to praise the Lord? He's built it into the system, but why? So let's start by answering the first question. What does it mean to praise? One pastor and theologian that I don't know well, but who has a wonderful reputation, one whom I respect, is a man named Terry Fulham. Uh, Terry Fulham, now deceased, was a pastor of a, an Episcopal church up in Connecticut. He was uh, a very uh, important figure in the charismatic renewal of the Episcopal church in the late 60s and early 70s. Bishop Martin Men served under Terry Fulham. I'm pretty sure that Forrest and Nancy Mobley knew Terry Fulham. And in a, pa- in a sermon about worship, he, Mr. Fulham, Father Terry, called praise the very essence of our worship. And then he said this, Praise is the spontaneous overflow of enjoyment. Think about that just for a second. So when we say that the intended purpose of creation of humanity is to praise the Lord, the very first thing we're saying is that He, the creation, is to enjoy God. Think about that, enjoying God. The Westminster Catechism, the shorter catechism, asked what was the chief purpose of man. And our Presbyterian brothers answer the question, that the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. Now, most of the time, when we think about God, we don't particularly think about someone who wants us to enjoy Him, do we? You think about, what, do you, what, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Most of our cultural references to God, they sort of depict Him as some sort of ogre, Right? A killjoy, perhaps, if, if we want to say that he pays any attention to the world whatsoever, we want to say that he, he's the meanie, he's like the Grinch, that he's, he's uh, unfair and unkind, and that he wants just us to not, not have any fun. This couldn't be more opposite than what we see in Scripture. God actually calls the creation to enjoy him, to know him to be in relationship with Him, to know and be known by Him, to love and be loved by Him. Think about what it means for you to enjoy something or someone. A feeling of completion, a a feeling of, of warmth, a feeling of peace, a feeling of at ease, a feeling of celebration. That's what God wants for us in Him, to know Him, to enjoy Him. To praise God means first to enjoy Him and then to react out of that enjoyment of God with worship. 
with the singing of songs, with words of adoration, with celebration and joy, with recognition that He is God, by extolling His virtues, by exalting Him for His wonderful acts, by recognizing that He is the one who makes life complete. I mean, think about this, right? When we enjoy something, we typically celebrate it and we let others know about it. Have you ever met a grandparent who wasn't enjoying and celebrating their grandchildren? They wear you slap out with pictures and stories, don't they? I grew up a mile and a half from one of my grandparents, and all I ever heard about when I went to see my own grandma was my cousins. I got so tired of hearing about my cousins because she was bragging to me about them, and I'm pretty sure that when she saw them, she bragged to them about me. When we enjoy something, we proclaim it. We praise it in public. We celebrate it. A number of years ago, when uh, Anna and I and uh, our family, we were living in Pensacola, the Oklahoma State Cowboys had their best college football season ever. They beat OU, which is a rarity, and then they won the Fiesta Bowl, beating Andrew Luck and the Stanford Cardinal. It went into overtime. It was a close game. It went down to the wire. It was a late game, so I sat alone in a dark house, illuminated only by the television screen because our toddler daughter was asleep and my beautiful wife was exhausted and she was asleep. The Cowboys won the game, and needless to say, I let out a whoop of joy and excitement. I knew the Cowboys won the game, and everyone in the house knew the Cowboys won the game. And then a week later, when I got my celebratory Fiesta Bowl Nacho Victory t-shirt, then I really let people know, right? I had enjoyment in this experience, and I celebrated it, and people knew. That's what praise is. That's what we're seeing here in Psalm 148. God's creation, humanity especially, but all of God's creation is called to enjoy Him, find fulfillment, more than satisfaction, in him and to act out of that place of fulfillment and enjoyment with praise in public and to do so at God's desire and God's design to do so because of who God is and what God has done. Psalm 148 gives us three reasons built around who God is and what God has done to praise him. The first reason is found in verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. The first reason to enjoy and praise God is existence. The fact that you are alive is dependent upon God because he is the creator. Enjoyment and praise of God find their foundation in the very creative acts of God himself. And as we read in the accounts of Scripture, the accounts of creation, in Genesis 1 and in John chapter 1, we see the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to bring all that is into existence. Repeatedly in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke the words, let there be, and that thing which he declared into existence became, and God then pronounced it good. And if you read through Psalm 148, you can't help but be struck by the things that he's listing in the psalm are the things that are spoken into existence in Genesis chapter 1. The only exception is in Genesis chapter 1, there's no specific mention of the angelic host. 
And yet they too are dependent upon God for their existence. And so they too are called, enjoy God and praise Him. Before anything else, the Scriptures reveal that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, triune God, they are, He is responsible for life. And so He's worthy to be enjoyed, the object of praise. Praising God is enjoying Him and celebrating Him first for what He has done. He's created. But it's also to be done for who He is. He is the King of all creation. Look at verses 6 and then verse 13. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. And then look at verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Taken together, these two verses show us that Yahweh alone is God, and Yahweh, who is God alone, is sovereign over His creation. That means He's in control. That means He is overseeing, superintending all things. That He alone is God, He alone is Creator, and more than that, He alone is the King of all creation. The psalm tells us that his decrees do not pass away. The triune God alone is the one who called all things into being and then set things into their courses. God alone rules and God alone reigns over his creation. God the creator, the king, is transcendent over his creation. He's completely other than. He is holy. He is sovereign. He oversees all things. And while we can talk about different aspects of God's sovereign will, This particular psalm is most likely referring to what we might call his hidden will. It's simply put that the the triune God rules over all of space and time. He ordains everything that happens in its place at its time. Nothing then surprises God. Nothing sneaks up on God. Nothing, in fact, happens which he does not control. Talk about being able to enjoy someone with security and peace. His purposes and His desires will be accomplished. So God, God's creation, is called to enjoy Him, to praise Him, because one, He has created, and two, He rules and reigns. And Psalm 148 has one final reason for us, for the enjoyment and praise of God. And this is His particular and peculiar actions on behalf of His people. Look at Psalm 148, verse 14. Here again, referring to the Lord, to Yahweh. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Generally speaking, God at work within his creation, specifically speaking, the story of the Old Testament is the story of God at work in a peculiar, particular people for his own purpose. Here in the psalm, specifically in the context of the people of Israel, we see that God in His sovereignty, God created for Himself a people for the purpose of blessing the nations. God called Israel to be near Him, to be His particular, peculiar possession, His people of His redeeming, a nation of priests, one set apart by Himself. And He blessed them with dignity and strength. So why would then Israel praise the Lord, be called to praise the Lord? Because they were created by Him, because He is sovereign, and because He has acted on their behalf. 
And as Scripture unfolds, Jesus is presented as the true Israel. And through Jesus, God extends His kingdom to non-Israel humanity, something for which we should all be very grateful. And through Jesus, then, God takes actions on behalf of His kingdom people, the church. And so why are we here in 2019 called to praise God, to give enjoyment, to receive enjoyment, to be full of joy with God and praise Him in the overflow? Because He's created, because He rules, and because He's acted on our behalf for our salvation. The Bible reveals the actions of the Creator King. The transcendent one, who's over and above, is actively involved, actively present to His creation. He's imminent, acting to reveal himself, acting to save, to create for himself a people. God is creator. God is sovereign. God acts. And so we are called to enjoy him and praise him. One scholar put it this way, all these creatures should give their praise according to their natures, for this is what they were made for. Likewise, all mankind of all peoples and of all age groups should praise him according to their natures, for this is what they were made for. Enjoying God and praising him, that's the intended purpose of creation and of humanity. It is also the destined future. So turn to the back of your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, as we heard read this morning, the first six or so verses of Revelation 21, it tells us of the final destiny of God's creation as history comes to an end with the new heaven and the new earth. Also portrayed in the book of Revelation as the new Jerusalem, this is what we might call a new or renewed creation that will be established as God's permanent dwelling place. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The intended purpose of creation, which is set out in Psalm 148, among other places, is realized and fulfilled in Revelation 21. God will come near to his people. He will dwell with his people. And there in the place of God's presence, in God's presence, there will be full enjoyment and full praise. And in that presence, in that place of intimate enjoyment and connection with God, there will be comfort and healing. And in that place of God's presence, there will be perfect peace. There will be perfect comfort. There will be perfect security. In this direct enjoyment of God, there will be praise given to God. The intended purpose of creation and of humanity finally realized. But how? How does it happen? It happens through Jesus. That's how we get there. Let's let's talk about reality. The intended purpose of creation and of man is to enjoy and praise God. The end result of all things of God's work will be the enjoyment and praise of God. But in between time and the here and now, is that what we see? The answer is no. The answer is no. What ought to be 
the enjoyment and praise of God is what will be, but it is not yet. Or maybe I should say it this way, it is not fully yet. Because the intended purpose of God can be a present reality only through Jesus Christ. And the reason why what ought to be and what will be is not yet, the reason is the absurdity of idolatry. Come back to our introduction this morning. We are made to worship. We will worship something. We will enjoy something. We will praise something. The only question is what? And if we enjoy and praise something other than the God of the Bible who has revealed himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are committing idolatry. If we praise anything other than God who is the creator, the king, we are committing idolatry. This is really the story of Scripture. God made his creation to enjoy and praise him, but humanity exchanged the enjoyment of the creator king for the empty promise of self-determination and praise of the created. And so rather than join with all of creation in worshiping the creator king, we worship the things of creation themselves. Humans made in the image of God were made to worship God, to give themselves to God, to love God, but humans guilty of personal sin and with inherited guilt and the predisposition to sin, we do not enjoy rightly because in the words of Augustine of Hippo, we do not love rightly. Thus, we do not praise rightly. We're made to worship, and we will worship something. The problem is that our human heart, what one reformer refers to as an idol factory, creates all kinds of little gods to worship. But those little gods are nothing more than bits of creation that are inanimate objects and cannot save us. We were made for the satisfaction of knowing God the creator, and instead we exchange it for the dissatisfaction of knowing creation. And we call it good. To use an illustration from C.S. Lewis, we are like the children in the slums of London. We are content to sit in filth and make mud pies, all while being offered a holiday at the seashore. Because of idolatry, we can enjoy, we do enjoy and praise entertainers and celebrities, families and children, jobs and work, presidents and politicians, sex and money and power. We make these things ultimate things, things we think will fulfill us, things we think we will enjoy and things we think we will praise, all while they kill us because we're not made for them. We were made for the one who created us. We were made for God to enjoy him, to praise him, to glorify him forever. Psalm 148 shows us what ought to be. Revelation 21 shows us what will be. How do we get there? How do we get back to God's intention, and how do we get into God's future? How do we bring this into the present? How can we be true worshipers, true enjoyers, true praisers of God here and now? Jesus. It's only in Jesus. This is where John chapter 4 becomes incredibly important for us. Jesus is the one who restores us in creation to its intended purpose. Jesus is the one who restores us and ushers us in creation into the destined future. Jesus restores all of creation. We read in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God in Christ reconciled all of creation to himself, and through Christ we can be reconciled to God. It is then in and through and by Jesus that the one upon the throne in Revelation 21 proclaims, Behold, I am making all things new. Creation and humanity, our enjoyment and our praise. Intended for the purpose of enjoying and praising God, he seeks to restore sinners and to recreate them as worshipers. In the middle of a longer conversation with a Samaritan lady recorded in John chapter 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Let the wonderful grace of that statement wash over you. Revel in it. God is seeking people to enjoy and praise Him. God wants people to know Him, to worship Him. The King of all creation, the Creator, when we were far from Him because of our sin, sent His Son to seek and save that we might fully fulfill our intended purpose, to know God, to enjoy God, to praise Him. God actively takes the initiative to restore creation to his intention to enjoy and praise him and to usher creation into his future, even here and even now. That's the whole point of the incarnation. Perhaps we could say that is the gospel itself, that God did what God could do and did do to save us, that we might know him, enjoy him, and praise him that we might fulfill the intended purpose for with which we were made, that we might be truly human. Made to enjoy and praise God, made to worship Him, now through Jesus we are renewed and remade for worship. And as Pastor Charles Drew has commented, this is what sets God apart. This is what makes Christianity different from every other world religion. Only God pursues people God seeks worshipers. We don't go after him. We end this morning with a very personal question. Reflecting on the intended purpose of creation, reflecting upon the destined future, knowing where we are now, let me ask, are you enjoying God and praising him? Are you living into the purpose that God has given you to first know and enjoy him and to praise Him. This is God's intended purpose. This is the destined future, and because of Jesus, it's possible now. As He restores us to the intended purpose, only in Jesus can we reach that destined future. Humans are made to know and enjoy our Creator King. We are made to worship. We are made to praise God, and because of Jesus, we can. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy and gracious God, as we gather in praise, we pray for your presence to be with us and amongst us. Move, we pray, Holy Spirit, us in a very palpable way. May we know and worship in spirit and in truth. May we enjoy you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and celebrate you. May we sing your praises.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and offer our praise of song to the Lord.